Welcome to the God Life with Pastor Dolapo Lawal, the lead pastor of the Zoe household. His desire is to bring you to the consciousness of the Zoe life that has been made available to everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen and be equipped. is majorly shadows all right and i said that that was the reason why god used parables that's illustrations marshals in the in the hebrew to explain these things to them so we're just going to make progress tonight all right we're still talking about pentecost all right so the gospels all agree that jesus died on friday during Passover, on the day of preparation for the Sabbath. You want to see Matthew 27, 62, Matthew 27, 62, Mark 15, 42, Mark 15, 42, Luke 23, 54, Luke 23, 54, John 19, 42, John 19, 42. Please go and read this thing. Ah, don't just write it. I I cannot be studying now. You'll just be wasting Go and read it too. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that he shared a last supper with his disciples and was crucified. Matthew twenty seven sixty two, Mark fifteen forty two, Luke twenty three fifty four, John nineteen forty two. It's written that he shared the last supper with his disciples and was crucified. All right. Now, if you notice, there's something in the Bible and um, you see the difference in emphasis in the synoptic Gospels. Um, For example, Matthew records the genealogy of Jesus. Luke won't, but he would record and, you know, do a proper research on the conception of Jesus. And then John just goes straight, straight to, you know, the revelation of Jesus, you know, and I did a teaching about that, Jesus in Genesis 1, and I explained, okay, what Jesus taught them, the 40 days according to Acts chapter 1 verse 3, that he had a, that he had with his disciples after his resurrection, and that Matthew 28 from 18 to 20 is a summary, all right, of all the teachings that Jesus did in those 40 days, Jesus revealed to them that all power in heaven and on earth has been given unto him. Hence, he is the Son of God, he is the Messiah, he is God. And when we say Son of God, he is the revelation of the invisible God. All right? Um, and the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, from verse 3 down to about verse 6, that he did these things with infallible proofs. All right? So, um when John starts he starts with what Jesus had taught all right when he says all power in heaven and on earth has been given unto me Jesus began to expand the scriptures to them from Genesis all power in heaven and on earth in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth so he started from Genesis all right and I and I tried to explain that you should try to listen you should try to listen to that that teaching. It will really help. It's a long teaching. It's about two hours, though. Mm. 
But yes, it will really bless you. All right. So Mark was the first gospel to be written probably 70 AD. When on the Passover that year, just giving you a historic background to something, the Romans had led siege to Jerusalem, destroying the second temple four months later. This is 70 years. And this fulfilled the prophecy of Jesus in Mark 13, verse 2. Jesus said, There shall be, there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Right? And then he recounts that on the first day of the unleavened bread, and there is a document that I actually saw this. It's, it's called um, it's a, a small article. It's called the Jewish Law. Um, Josephus, Jewish law, Josephus. Um, that's where I got that fact from. All right. He recounts that on the first day of the unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, all right, the disciples asked Jesus, and I'm talking about Mark now, where they were, where they were going to prepare the meal, right? In the words of, of Jesus, or in the words of the disciples, it says, where are we going to prepare the meal that thou may eat the Passover? All right. You want to look at Matthew twenty six seventeen, and Luke 22, verse 15. Jesus said, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. All right. So preparations were duly made. And that evening, Jesus took the bread and broke it as his own body would be broken. And then the wine signifying the shedding of his blood. Now, why am I telling you this? It's important because we are seeing the operations of God. That before God does something, there is always a physical manifestation. All right? So you can connect the physical manifestation with what is about to happen spiritually. So before God would do something in the spirit realm, it has already been done in the spirit realm, sorry. But before it takes full effect or full manifestation, it gives hints in forms, in the form of parables. I don't know if you've noticed this. Anyway, some of you might have never noticed, but at least I've witnessed at least somebody die before. And the narrative is this, that when somebody is about to die, it's as though they give parables or they begin to talk in a way that they are t- giving signs that they just might die, all right? They might start to have the thoughts. They might t- start to speak like, just make sure you are fine without me. Some of them might not necessarily know, but sometimes these words might come as utterance in alignment with what has already taken effect in the spirit realm. Let me show you something. So what I'm saying can make more sense. All right, go to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. Remember, we are teaching, so it's going to be slow, but you're going to get what I'm saying. All right? Birthday girl. Happy birthday, Nifna. All right, Daniel chapter 10. Um, Look at... um, Thank you, Jesus. Mm, one second. Verse 
verse 20. Mm. So the, the story is this. Daniel had prayed. Now, let me tell you this. The problem that Daniel had here, you will never have that problem. Because you are not... Can you take what I want to say? Because we are not praying to God. We are praying from God. All right? Well, that might sound weird, but that's what it is. We are not praying to God because we are in him. We are praying from him. So Daniel was praying to God, and you know, the answer, God had sent an angel of wisdom. All right? God might not necessarily send an angel of wisdom to you because 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says, Christ has been made unto you wisdom. So, so many times we appreciate the, the supernatural, quote and unquote, in the Old Testament. But the truth is this. They saw so many supernatural and um, all these angelic things because they were absolutely men. There was no way the Spirit of God could communicate spiritual realities to them and they could understand, except something, you know, that was extraordinary, fascinating, that would stop them and just a mighty force. But for us, the hardest thing is to believe that Christ can dwell in you. And if you do, then God can communicate realities to you even in your spirit. So if God wants to talk to me now, God will speak into my heart, all right? But he was not in the heart of Daniel, so he had to send an angel of, of wisdom. If you read the the chapter, you realize that it, this guy was actually an angel of wisdom, all right? So look at Daniel 10, verse 20. I'm trying to show that this what you see manifesting in the physical must have already happened in the spiritual. I know you've heard that before, but it's very serious. It's true. If if there's something wrong with you here, there's already some there was something wrong with you there before. All right? Whatever you are here is an effect of what you are there. All right? And this is why we hear the word of God continually. This is why we pray. Jesus says men ought to pray and not faint. In other words, he's saying strength for the physical is generated in the spiritual. All right? Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. God is saying that, listen, the only way you can survive is by his word. All right? So the spiritual will always influence and affect the physical. Whatever happens in the spiritual is what we see in the physical. Jesus said what? Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you understand so what happens on earth is what has already been established in heaven. That's the way it works. All right? I hope you're understanding what I'm saying. So look at Daniel 10, verse 20. Then he said, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Gracia shall come. All right? So what is he saying? Now that word prince there is not just talking about hair, like hair to a throne, because Jesus is the prince of peace. He's not the heir to the throne called peace, no. It actually means he is the principality in charge of peace. All right? That's the word. It means the principality in charge of peace. All right? So now he says, And now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia, and when I am gone for the prince of Gracia shall come in. Now, if you are a student of history, 
you will understand that the Persian Empire, now don't miss me here, the Persian Empire, see me, you look tired. Be happy. It's doctrinal. All right. You notice that the prince of Persia or the Persian Empire fell after um, the Greek and Roman Empire came in. All right. So um, what happened was in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel already knew that the next empire that was coming in was the Greco-Roman Empire because the angel had already told Daniel that, listen, as I'm leaving this place now, I'm going to fight and I'm going to dethrone the prince of Persia. And after I've dethroned the prince of Persia by defeating him, immediately the prince of Grecia will come in. So this is it. Please pay attention. And this is why it's so important. Everything that you see in the physical has a spiritual influence. If you are not under the influence of God, you will definitely be under the influence of the devil. That's the way it works. That's why you see somebody go and create nuclear weapons. I don't know how you create something that would destroy mankind. I don't know how. But it's just telling you that there is an influence. If a king is sitting, this is why you will notice Peter and Paul always praying that you pray for kings. Say, pray for kings. Because... Every king has a spiritual king that possibly influences the mind of the physical king. So the war between the Persian Empire and the Greco-Roman Empire was fought by the principality of the Roman Empire versus the principality of the Greco-Roman um, of the Persian Empire in the spirit realm first. When the Persian Empire fell in the spirit and the Greco-Roman Empire won, hope you're getting what I'm saying, that is when um, the Greco-Roman Empire defeated the Persian Empire in the physical realm. Are we together? Are we together? Okay. So... we find Jesus giving us hint of what had happened in the spirit realm, which Paul tells us that before the foundations of the earth, the Lamb of God had been slain. Now he's showing us in the Passover and breaking his body and shedding his blood, which he was about to do that same day. Because the Passover day was... Actually, when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and that was where Jesus was betrayed, arrested, and then he was tried, found guilty by Pontius Pilate. He was crucified the next morning um, at the third hour, which will be 9 a.m. on Passover day, and that you find in Mark fifteen twenty-five. All right. So Jesus was raised to read from the dead on the day of the feast of the unleavened bread. All right. And why this information might sound much, I just need you to follow me. Right. Jesus was raised from the dead. I'm going to take time to teach about feasts. Jesus was raised from the dead on the day of the feast of unleavened bread. 
the Feast of Unleading Bread gets its name from the requirement to remove leavening from our homes and diets for seven days. You find that in Exodus 12, verse 15. Exodus 12, verse 15. During this time, living is used as a symbol for sin. Just as Pharaoh held the Israelites as slaves in Egypt, sin held us captive. All right? So that's the typology I'm trying to do now. Just as God delivered Israel out of Egypt with the intent that they may never return to Egypt, God delivered us from sin and our sinful life and instructs us never to return. Since living typically puffs things up, it represents not only the root of many sins, but it represents pride, malice, wickedness, hypocrisy, and even wrong teaching. All right? So removing living food from our lives for one week reminds us to keep sin out of our lives. All right? That is not to practice sin. And eating unleavened bread teaches us to put the righteousness of God into work that we already have on our inside. We're going to see First Corinthians 5 verse 8. See where I got that from. First Corinthians 5 verse 8. First Corinthians 5 verse 8. This is how I know that, you know, living is, is wickedness, hypocrisy, wrong teaching, and malice. It says, therefore, let us keep the feast, all right? That the feast day I explained to us that it is Moade and it's referring to the congregation, the assembly, all right? An appointed congregation, all right? That's a calling. So let us keep the feast, not with the old living, nor with the living of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, all right? So you can see that typology. Paul understood it perfectly, all right? Luke used when the day of Pentecost was fully come, when he was writing his account in Acts chapter 2, as a description of a date, not a description of a new Christian event. He was trying to show the fulfillment of the Pentecost as an accomplishment of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread is Christ's death, burial, and resurrection now this is where we're going <laughs> i'm sure you people are like oh my god pity can we finish this message already hence what happened on the day of pentecost please pay attention go and read this thing you will need it if you are going to be all of you will still be pastor you will need it hmm. Hmm. hence what happened on the day of pentecost was a commemoration of what happened on mount sinai to witness a new covenant. I want you to write that down. What happened on the day of Pentecost was a commemoration of what happened on Mount Sinai to witness a new covenant. All right? So the day of Pentecost was a description. Listen, listen, listen. I don't want you to lose this. As, as weird as it sounds, don't miss me here, please. The day of Pentecost was to signify the coming into effect of a new covenant. That means the day of Pentecost put an end to Pentecost celebration. As weird as that sounds, 
But in the light of the gospel, in the light of in the New Testament, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 actually ended Pentecost. Because that was the day that Pentecost was fulfilled. All the while they were celebrating Pentecost as a typology and as a shadow for a reality. What happened on the day of Pentecost was the reality that made us stop doing the shadow. I hope you understand what I'm saying. So on the day of Pentecost, please pay attention. The people that received the witness or the evidence of the Holy Ghost were not Pentecostals. So to call yourself a Pentecostal Christian doctrinally sounds wrong. Don't let me say sounds wrong. I'm trying to be very respectful. It is actually wrong because the people that were celebrating the Pentecost were the devout men that came from different parts of the world to celebrate Pentecost. Do you understand? The 120 refused to celebrate Pentecost and went to wait. So it was the non-Pentecostals that actually received the Holy Ghost or the evidence of the Holy Ghost, sorry. So if we're to call ourselves something, it should not be Pentecostal Christians. It should actually be non-Pentecostal Christians. Because those that were celebrating Pentecost were in the city and they chose to wait up. That's why it was a festive period. That's why they said, ah, these guys are drunk. They went to the upper room to go and drink. It's Pentecost. Then Peter came and corrected them. No, 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 no. You're wrong. This is a fulfillment of a prophecy. And remember that Jesus already in his ministry painted a picture for us of what that day Pentecost will look like. He said something about wine putting in the old bottle. He says, you can't put a new wine in an old bottle. Then they said, these people are drunk with wine. Then, then Peter makes it clear. He says, no, we are not drunk with wine. It's not that kind of wine. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So when you see the word wine in the synoptic Gospels, it signifies the blood of Jesus. And remember that blood is life. I want you to follow me. Is it, is, you have to catch what I'm saying. Shaitan, are we together? Angela, are we together? So, all right. So when you see blood, blood is life, all right? So when in the Synoptic Gospels you see wine, Jesus is speaking about blood because that is his blood that will be shed for our sins, which will now bring or make for the indwelling of the Spirit. But in the epistles, wine was, not, was no longer used as blood. It was now used as life in itself. So if Jesus is the seed of God, all right, that means the life of Jesus is the Holy Ghost. The life that Jesus had is the Holy Ghost. I don't want to say was. Is the Holy Ghost. If Jesus is the seed of God, remember that a man did not impregnate Mary. An angel came and spoke the word and she conceived. All right? So Jesus 
Mary got impregnated by hearing the message of, of God. It was the word that entered into Mary. All right? It was not a man's seed. So Jesus is the seed of the woman, which means he is the seed of God. Is the seed of God. Spotless. No sin. Didn't know any sin. All right? It was a pure seed. The perfect seed of God. So the life of Jesus is the Holy Ghost. Just the way we have our life is in our blood. And that our blood is where the sin is. All right? Our former conversation. When I mean our former conversation, why am I using Bible terms? Our former life, when we were Gentiles. All right? But right now, we've received the Spirit of God. And our life is now the life of the Spirit. But that was the life that Jesus had. He knew no sin. All right? So when you see Jesus giving them wine, he said the wine was a typology of his blood that was to be shed abroad. That blood is life. Are you getting what I'm saying? That blood that was to be shed is life. But in the, new, in the epistles, they didn't use wine and blood again. They just went straight to wine and life. So you find Paul saying, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit, which is the life. In the book of Revelations, do you, do you people understand what I'm saying? Jesus says, I will not drink of this wine again until you come to me. I will not drink... So Jesus says, I will not drink of this wine again until you come to me. All right? What's the wine he was speaking about? Because he said, I will go. It's expedient that I go, that you may receive the promise of the Father. So the wine he's speaking about is the life of the Spirit, is the Holy Ghost. All right? So when you see blood in the synoptic Gospels, Jesus is referring, or when you see wine in the synoptic Gospels, he's referring to his blood, all right? And when you see that same wine in the epistles, it's most of the time referring to, all of the time, sorry, referring to the life of the Spirit. So on the day of Pentecost, what happened was that Pentecost was fully come. All right? The old typology of Pentecost from ages, the event now happened. All right? So we're not Pentecostals. The people that received the Holy Ghost were non-Pentecostals. Because Pentecost was a typology. So if we want to stick to Pentecost, then we must have an ark of God. Because all these things, they come with the law. That's an old covenant. Are you understanding what I'm saying? We are, the, the day of Pentecost signified the beginning of a new covenant. Huh? Wow. All right. Hence, what happened on the day of Pentecost was a commemoration of what happened on Mount Sinai to witness the beginning of a new covenant. So what happened on Mount Sinai? All right. 
Exodus 19. Exodus 19. Exodus 19. All right. Exodus 19. Let's look at that. Exodus 19. We're going to stay there. You know, I'm talking about what happened on Mount Sinai. So that's all we're going to be reading. Exodus 19. I'll just make sure we're quick about it. Exodus 19. Mm. Verse 3. Exodus 19, verse 3. Then Moses went up to God. Ah, hallelujah. He had to go. All right. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you shall say to the descendants of Jacob. Mm, there's so much. And what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourself... You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my commandments, listen, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. You will be my treasured possession. All right? Although the whole earth is mine, you will be you will be for me a kingdom. So God didn't say they were. He said you will be. All right, for me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So on Mount Sinai, God was calling them, all right, to fellowship in his word so as for them to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Remember, we said what happened on the day of Pentecost was a seal of the new covenant and to show that all promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus already fulfilled. So what God said they will be is a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. All right? Look at Revelations 1 verse 6. Revelations 1 verse 6. He says, And he at, not he will. The tenses have changed. In Exodus 19 verse 3 to 6, God will make them. He said he will do it. In Revelations 1 verse 6, And he had made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory, dominion, forever and ever. Amen. So what will happen to the children of Israel as a promise in Exodus 19 has happened to us. We have been made kings and priests unto God. All right? And the effect of being a king and priest unto God is what you find the same promise in Exodus 19, 3 to 16 in First Peter. All right? First Peter 2. First Peter 2. Let's read from verse... Ah, Okay, let's read from verse 5. Let's read from verse 5. It says, Ye also, as, li- or as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up sac- spiritual sacrifices. You see that now? We offer spiritual sacrifices. We don't come to church with cow. All right? Praise the Lord. I'm about to shake a table. We don't come to God with cow. 
and what we offer to God is spiritual. We offer spiritual sacrifices. So the kind of sacrifice that God wants for us is beyond money. Your money is, is, is on the lowest level. It speaks about spiritual sacrifices. And I dare tell you he's speaking about consecration, all right? He says, You have built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Verse 6, Wherefore also it is contained in the scriptures, Behold, I will lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be condemned, confounded, sorry. Verse 7, unto you therefore which believe is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. That's the chief corner stone. Verse 8, and a stone of stumbling, all right, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, wherefore also they were appointed. You see? Now look at Matthew 3. Look at Matthew 3. So Jesus or Peter is teaching here and he's talking about a stone that if you receive this stone, what we speak about offering spiritual sacrifices as a spiritual house of God and as an holy priesthood is effective. All right, by believing in Jesus Christ. But if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, he says that stone, all right, which is the chief cornerstone now, has been made a stumbling block, all right, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. So, what is the obedience and disobedience? The obedience is accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Obeying the call out of darkness into his marvelous light and disobeying, not answering the call out of darkness into his marvelous light. All right. So Jesus says in Matthew 3 verse 9, he says, and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. You see the word stone is coming up again. So when Jesus was saying, God will raise up stones, <laughs> Jesus is not that weird. He doesn't mean that God will, he's speaking in parables. All right? So when he says stones, the word he's speaking about, they understand. He's speaking about rock. And when an Israelite hears rock. What he's hearing is what Jesus called Peter, eh? Cephas. It's a small rock, but is is not removable. It's very rooted into the ground. All right. So when Jesus says God will raise up stones, if you refuse to worship because you think you are children of Abraham, he uses the word children of Abraham because the stones he's talking about are the Gentiles who are not children of Abraham biologically. So when he says, God will raise up stones, you understand in 1 Peter 2, the stones that he's referring to. The stones are actually people. Lively stones. 
Oh, let me put it well. We are the stones he was talking about. Jesus was telling them, listen, if you people reject me, God will open the door to the Gentiles. You people were supposed to be a treasured possession of God. You people were supposed to be a holy nation. You people were supposed to be a kingdom of kings and priests. But you rejected me. Guess what? God has opened the door to the Gentiles. That's what you now find in Revelation 1 verse 9, that he has made us priests and kings. All right? Made us priests and kings unto the Father. I hope you are understanding this. All right, let's move on. So the first thing that we see is, all right, the stones. Then look at what he says in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. Remember where we are coming from, Exodus 19, 3 to 6. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. He says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Oh, glory. Let me read Exodus 19 verse 6 to you again. Uh, you need to see this. It says, you will be for me. You will be for me. Kingdom of priests and a holy nation. All right. Look at it here in First Peter 2 verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people. So what God promised the children of Israel, he handed over to us. Ah, oh my God. You are not understanding that means Israelites have changed. The people you call Israelites are now Gentiles. I hope you're understanding. Listen, because the word Israel, you are, I want you to catch what I'm saying. Let me show you the dialectics. See what God said. God is perfect. Very perfect. Today I did a study for about five hours on Jerusalem. I, my mind was blown. I couldn't stop searching scriptures. God is perfect, extremely detailed. Look at what he said to Moses in Exodus 19 verse 3. He says, then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him, which is a typology of what God, of what Peter explained in verse 9. That he called us out of darkness. So there was first a foretaste of the calling. All right? He says, And the Lord called to him from the mountain. All right? And said, That word mountain there is speaking about a holy place. That word is Kadosh. All right? Mm. Which, okay, let's move on. This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob. God makes the difference. And what you shall tell the people of Israel. He's saying, listen, there is... I'm seeing a question. I don't understand this question, no. It's Mount Sinai. No, Kadosh means holy. There's no Mount Kadosh. Mount Sinai is Mount Sinai. Kadosh simply means holy. When, okay, let me try to, to give an explanation. I think I understand what you're saying right now. If you read Matthew 17, when the Lord 
especially in the Old Testament, and you find the typology in the Synoptic Gospels, calls to the mountain is calling you to a holy place. All right? The mountain. People don't live in the mountain, or they don't live on the mountain. So it calls you to a holy place. That word holy is not what many people think it is. Holy simply means set apart. A place that is different. A place that is set apart. So a solemn place or anything of such, any place that God has decided to use is what he calls holy. That's why he says, I'm going to call you as a holy nation. That means there are many nations, but I'm bringing you out as a set apart people. All right. That's why I said the mountain. I said holy and I said Kadosh. All right. I've done a teaching about that before as well. So I just assumed that we knew. All right. So it says, this is what you shall say to the descendants of Jacob and what you shall tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen. So (laughs) it refers to a biological descendancy and then a descendancy by promise. Jacob, a biological descendancy. Israel, what God named Jacob. Israel, the name gotten from God. A renaming, a calling out, a change, a consecration, a setting apart. It refers to biology. And then it refers to a, sp- a spiritual calling. So there is Jacob, the fraudster. And then there is Israel, the one with the promise. I hope you understand what I'm saying. God mentions these two. All right? So look at what he says in, in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you may show forth the praises of he that has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look at what he says in verse 10. So you can see that Peter was actually preaching from Exodus 19. He says, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. All right? Which had which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So listen, as a child of God, we don't pray for mercy. Look at the word. Let me read it again. Which in times past, we were not a people, but we are now the people of God, which, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So we have obtained mercy already. So we thank God for his mercies. Hallelujah. All right. Then he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. All right. So the first thing that we see on the day of Pentecost as a commemoration with what happened in Mount Sinai was that there was a confirmation and the launching of the kings and priests that were spoken about in Exodus 19. All right, let's move. Number two, another thing that we see is Exodus 19 verse 9. Exodus 19 verse 9. Exodus 19 verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud. 
so that the people will hear me speaking with you. Ah, I oh my God! You should have seen me when I was when I was seeing this. I really wish you guys can see what I'm seeing. I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you. Oh my God! And will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. All right. Hebrews 12 verse 1. Wherefore, Hebrews 12 verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. You see that cloud again. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doeth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. All right. Now, let me read to you again. Hebrews 19 verse verse 9. I'm going to read Acts to you. Acts 2. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will put their trust in you. It is saying me. He said, when I come in a dense cloud, the people will hear me speaking with you and put my, their trust in you. Now look at Acts chapter 2. Mm. Ah, The eyes of our understanding is enlightened in the name of Jesus. Ah. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in a place just like the people of Israel were in Mount Sinai. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And they appeared unto them, clothing tongues as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right? And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, out of every nation under the heaven. So what happened on the day of Pentecost is what God said will happen. When he says, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud. Referring to a wind which is pneuma, which is spirit, all right? So that the people will hear me speaking with you. So the Holy Ghost gave them utterance as a witness that we can speak to God and God can speak to us. So speaking in tongues is not just a conversation unto God. It's a conversation where man and God can speak to each other at the same time. As I'm speaking in tongues, I'm hearing God, but I'm speaking to God. So speaking in tongues is an avenue where there is true synergy that our spirit is not divided with that of God. We're speaking to God and God is speaking to us. Let me read that prophecy to you again. I'm going to come to you in a, in a dense cloud. God came, remember, there came a sound, a mighty rushing wind from heaven. All right, so that the people will hear me speaking with you. These devout men heard them speaking in tongues and will put their trust in you. Then Peter began to preach the gospel and they put their trust in what Peter said. 
So on the day of Pentecost was a day of prophecy fulfilled. It wasn't a day, listen, 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 so you can catch what I'm saying. I'm coming to a conclusion. The day of Pentecost was not just when something began. It was also when something ended. Typologies and shadows ended. And reality, a new covenant began. All right? It was a full stop to the law, but it was beginning of sentence to the New Testament. All right, let's move on. Praise Jesus. Man, if I was you, I'll be screaming right now. Revelation 1 verse 7. Some of us don't know what Jesus has done for us. If you do a proper study of what it means to be under the law, you will know that there is no hope. There is no hope. If you do a proper study of what it means to be under the law. Listen, the law, the Bible says the law is holy. Who is holy? God. The only person that can keep the law is God. That's why he had to give us his spirit to help us keep it. Imagine a human being struggling to do what only God can do. It's impossible. Can you just think about what I just said? A human being trying to do what only God can do. The Ten Commandments are not just ten things that you shouldn't do. Are ten things that God can do. God will not steal. God will not lie. God will not bear false witness. These things reveal actually the purity in God's character. I will have no other God apart from you. Same thing, I will have no other people. Is referring to the character of God. All right. Look at Revelations. We saw Hebrews 12 verse 1. We saw Acts. Let's look at Revelations 1 verse 17. Do you understand what I'm saying? I have a question, sir. All right. What's your question? So, um, So what you're saying is that the day of Pentecost now is the fulfillment of sorry not fulfillment yeah fulfillment of the previous pentecostal celebration is that what you're saying yes that's what i'm saying and the beginning of a new covenant so okay so ask ask yeah so what i was just what was just going through my mind was that so what you're saying is that and then this pentecost put an end to the previous like a fake i don't know I can't call it fake, but like, like you said, maybe like a typology celebration of what was supposed to be fulfilled now. Mm. Yes, that's what I'm saying. So I'm saying they celebrated Pentecost. They did it as a festival, but they right. didn't understand that there was a reality to it. These people were doing the reality of what they were celebrating. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. All right. Thanks. You're welcome. All right, Revelations 1 verse 7. Revelations 1 verse 7. It says, Behold, he cometh with clouds. So when you see the word clouds, and when God said clouds in Exodus 19 verse 9, he's speaking about witness, all right? Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him, all right? (laughs) 
and they also which pierced him, which was <laughs> the content of Peter's message in Acts chapter 2. So now, every eyes is seeing Jesus on the day of Pentecost in the 120. Because true Jesus is Holy Ghost. And that Holy Ghost is in men. I hope you understand. Let me read it again. It says, Behold, remember we are seeing the shadow and the fulfillment. Revelations 1 verse 7. It says, Behold, he cometh with clouds. All right? And every eye will see him. And they also which pierced him, all kindreds of the earth, shall will before him, even so, amen. So he's speaking about the the commemoration, the commemoration of what you find in Exodus 19, opening the new covenant, and also the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, because in God, the beginning is the end. Because he's Alpha and Omega. Okay, I feel like the information is getting too much. Jesus is Alpha. Jesus is Alpha. Jesus is Omega. Jesus is the beginning and is the end. So what he used to start the new covenant... What he used to begin is what he will use to end. All right? In the beginning, we saw man in a garden on earth. In the end, there will be a new Jerusalem on earth. That's the way it works with God. The beginning is the end. All right? So, Revelations 1 verse 17 is showing the commemoration of what we find as a prophecy in Exodus 19 in Mount, in Mount Sinai and also what will happen in his second coming. Okay? Third one. I will close here for today and then I will, I will do this teaching another time. Right, another time we'll continue. Well, let's stop here for now. Um, yeah, and then we'll make progress later. Right, Exodus 19, verse 12. All right, it says, Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot. Of it, all right. So Mount Sinai was a mountain untouchable, but after what happened on the day of Pentecost, it became touchable. Look at Hebrews 12, we're going to read 18 downwards. All right, it says, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire nor unto blackness and darkness and tempests and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated 
that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I, exceed, I exceedingly fear and quake. Look at what he says in verse 22. He says, but ye are come unto Mount Zion. So we are not in Mount Sinai, we are in Mount Zion. And unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. All right, so it refers to church, a congregation. And I hope you know that's what Catholic means. I hope you know what that's the meaning of Catholic. Catholic, Catholic means a gathering, right? Oh, wow. Which are written, okay, 23, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Look at 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. So, in the old covenant, Mount Sinai, Jesus, God said, don't touch the mountain. But now, the writer of Hebrews is telling us that we are now in Zion, where the Bible says, from Zion, deliverance shall come forth. All right? It says, and that Zion is the city of the living God. It is the heavenly Jerusalem. And to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the first and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than the blood of Abel. So the blood of Abel is the blood of justice and vengeance. The blood of Jesus is the blood of grace, mercy, and compassion all right so on the day of pentecost there was a fulfillment of these three right number one the promise of kings and priests number two the cloud as a witness of the reality of the new covenant and for today the last one number three a mountain untouchable, but now is touchable, all right, because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Right. So what happened on the day of Pentecost was a fulfillment of shadows, and the beginning or the launching of the new covenant. Now, why is it so important that you understand that? It's so important that you understand that because look at Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to close here now. Hebrews Chapter 7. All right. 
Where do we start from now? Mm. All right, look at verse 16. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 16. It says, he's speaking of Melchizedek. Right, we'll do a teaching about that too, I guess. Who is made not after the law of the carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life, for he testified, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before going before for the weakness and unprofit, unprofitableness thereof. For the law, listen, 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 listen. That's the old covenant. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope deed by the which we draw near unto God. Look at verse 22. Look at verse 22. Look at verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better covenant. Verse 23. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by the reason of death. He says, but this man, because he continued forever, had an unchangeable priesthood, all right? Unchangeable priesthood, whereof he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he liveth, he ever liveth to make intercession for them. 26, for such an high priest became us, who is holy, blameless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. All right? So there's the new covenant made the old covenant and its practices to be annulled. All right? I hope you understand that. So, when they were celebrating Pentecost, God was changing the narrative of what you should say about Pentecost. So, God didn't want us to think about Pentecost and think about what these guys were doing in Judaism. He gave us a brand new narrative. That was the day that it became evident that God is now in man. Do you understand this? So, the day Pentecost, do you understand what I've said? I don't want to say another thing that will not generate another question. But, so, that Pentecost was a typology. And in Acts chapter 2, the events are the realities. Do you get this? The events are the realities. Speaking in tongues, made all these things, they are the realities of all the typologies that these guys have been celebrating for 4,000 years. God waited 4,000 years until the fullness of time, the Bible says, Christ came. He was born. He died. He was buried. He resurrection. He, he resurrected. 
and the effect of that reality 2021 years is still potent today all right so that's that's the end of my tip